Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This call is being recorded. All right, what's up, Hells fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. I am your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are addressing the Pelicans' lackluster home performance against the Miami Heat after three days rest and briefly previewing the Pelicans' upcoming road schedule versus the Bucks on Wednesday, the Lakers, the Kings, the Magic. Before we get all into all that, let's introduce the team first. We've got Editor-in-Chief Ali Cosell. What's going on, man? Hey, Preston. Just glad to be talking to you guys. I know that we've had a rough, rough stretch of late, and it's seemingly we're alternating, and we are, good good wins and uh, bad losses, but I don't know. It's still good to talk to you guys, regardless of what the topic is. <laughs> hey, man, I'll definitely take it if it means that we're going to win on Wednesday when we're all together. I will be visiting New Orleans, of course, hanging out with my guys. Next up, uh, another one of those guys that's going to be hanging out on Wednesday, Mr. Kevin Berrios. What's going on with you? I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Uh, nothing. Um, trying to work on an article right now um, in partnering up with uh, Chris Connor on this one, and hopefully we'll have it done by Tuesday or Wednesday if technology works more in my favor than it did last night. But other than that, been okay. Just busy. For a split second, I thought you said Kevin O'Connor, and I was like, stop writing. I don't want to read it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that sounds awesome, man. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Chris. Uh, make sure you guys follow him at Impatient Bull. And finally, Mr. David Grubb. What's going on, dude? Doing well, my friend. But, you know, well, other than the hangover from yesterday with that awful, awful game. Yeah. We'll get through it. Follow him at DM Grub, at Kevin B for Bounce, at Ali Cosell. This guy is falling in New Orleans right now after the Heat uh, managed to upset the Pelicans 102-96, despite 27-12 from Anthony Davis and an 11-19 turnover advantage, in large part due to an underperforming Pelicans cast. Even more so damning was the 23 rebound discrepancy, 22 offensive rebounds collected by the Heat. 
The Heat again managed to keep the Pelicans well under their league-leading average in the paint, which I think is 58 right now, holding them to just 42. And AD went 18 minutes without registering a shot in the second half. Even worse, Julius Randle could now be shelved for the foreseeable future. Before I turn before I turn things over to Ali to address something, the the can somebody please get AD some help? Look, trading for help is not necessarily going to teach the Pelicans to box out, to set screens, to run actions, to move away from ISO heavy possessions. The Pelicans have issues with death, just like, yes, you guessed it, every other franchise in the NBA. Are the Pelicans a bit more desperate, maybe? Think the Rockets aren't desperate to produce with an ever-aging point guard making an advance of $40 million a year for the next three years? Think the Wizards aren't desperate for some immediate improvement with the Trevor Reza deal giving up Kelly Oubre? What about the Raptors in a Kawhi contract year? The point is the Pelicans are off to a tough start, 15 and 16, untimely injuries, depleted bench, a difficult schedule, some mistakes made by Dell, of course, making a part. Sorry for the monologue, guys. I'm just going to go for a second. I promise I'm already done, uh, almost done. Missing on Ty Wallace plays a part. You can argue the faith given to Jaleel Okafor and Czech Diallo have been a mistake. Henrich over Troy Williams is something that Ali harped on a few months ago could be labeled mistakes. The point remains this team has enough right now to be a playoff team, as is. If the Pelicans make a move at this point, is it fair to say they will get equal value for that return? Possibly. Is it more probable that the Pelicans tread water, utilize what scraps they can find uh, a, a bit later, a la Nikola Miritich, DeMarcus Cousins, Quincy Ponce, Pondexter? But by that time, is it going to be too late? Maybe. Is it too early to panic? I think so. There's no promise the Pelicans are going to return, you know, a, a healthy squat in time to make a run. But panicking now almost certainly will damn the franchise. Instead, let's let's afford Dell some patience. If AD turns down the Supermax, you know, blow it off. We're tearing the whole damn thing down anyway. Until then, let's just get these guys to box out, utilize the pick and roll. Let's expect Darius Miller to shoot better than one for nine. Let's expect Nico and Moore to make a positive effect to this team when they're back and healthy. The, the overarching theme is, does AD need help? Yes. He has it, though, in Drew Holiday, Julius Randle, Nikola Miritich, Etwan Moore. Does he need a bit more? Does he need depth? Totally. And we have to remain patient that Dell's going to get it and get it at the right price in February. Then, by all means, if that doesn't happen, bring out your torches. I'm going to turn it over to Ali at this point. Obviously, we're at an all-time low right now. Every time I turn on Twitter, turn on Twitter, visit Twitter, it's it's... You know, the sky is falling. Anthony Davis isn't going to resign. He's going to be the first Supermax player not to do so. Ali, what is your reaction to all this on a Sunday in which the Saints might come even closer to securing the one seed in the NFC? Yeah, can we just talk about the Saints? <laughs> I mean, Preston, you don't know where to begin with the Pelicans anymore because one day, you know, you're coming off a win against an Oklahoma City Thunder team that is playing the best basketball since, like, the opening week in the NBA. And then they turn in a total shit job against the Miami Heat. I mean, I watched, rewatched the 27 or the 22 offensive rebounds that the Heat grabbed. And almost all instances, it was a lack of a Pelican being aware enough and trying to put a body on somebody. There is so much more in the game of basketball that's involved than just merely putting a ball through a hoop. And the Pelicans are often all too bad or they just fail to do all the necessary things that a team must to win a game because the heat they missed a ton of open shots but you know what the door was open there I mean heck the Pelicans could have closed it to within four points with about a minute to go had Drew Holiday made a layup instead of trying to go I guess pick up a foul on that fast break uh, to maybe cut it to three there's, there's just all these little small instances 
that the Pelicans time and again, in all their losses seemingly, fail to come up with the play, fail to come up with whatever's necessary to uh, propel themselves to a win. And we saw that last night. I mean, Anthony Davis not getting a shot for 18 minutes. You know, I blame everybody for that. And for Alvin Gentry just to sit there and tell us after the game that AD's getting doubled and he's not going to force bad shots. I mean, I hate to say it. It's not a newsflash. AD's been getting doubled for years now. Uh, we saw what he did against double and triple teams up against or in Boston up against the uh, Celtics uh, a few games ago. So I, I just don't want to hear that. And yet the team's making these excuses to us. Drew Holiday sitting in the locker room still kind of saying there's time. I mean, you know, they're all right to an extent, but yet they're all dodging the main issues. And that's my biggest problem. This team is not playing good basketball, especially consistently. Uh, not making the right plays. The coaching staff can't get these guys in the right places at the right times, or the players themselves aren't executing, like I said, the simple basketball moves. But it's all become just this one cluster F-bomb, uh, as you will. And as long as it continues, the Pelicans are honestly going to be on the outside looking in. You better get used to this in the standings. And I don't care if they get their whole roster back, because it really doesn't matter. I know that you made a great impassioned speech about depth, Preston, but you know what? Depth's not going to matter if these guys just simply don't play the right way. And when you don't push the basketball at all, if you don't outscore the opponent in the paint, uh, this is what the Pelicans need to do every game, and they don't do it, they don't look to do it, uh, then this is this is going to be the norm, guys. I mean, they've got to flip a switch. They've got to figure out a way to do the things that make them successful, and they don't do it every night. But I've talked long enough. Let's move on here. Uh, let's go over to Kevin. I think Ali made my point a little bit uh, better than than I possibly could have. And the point is, Kevin, it doesn't matter who the Pelicans bring to New Orleans right now. The Pelicans as an organization are not playing basketball the right way on a night in, night out basis. Is there a culture problem in New Orleans? Possibly. I mean, one thing that you got to look at, um, the, the main things that we're missing is a, a floor general, a, a true leader in the locker room. Um, you're missing a guy that sets screens and you're missing boxing out. You're missing these, um, you know, which is basically all boils down to, to discipline, you know, setting a good screen, being in the right position, boxing out, putting a body on somebody. And I know that the Saints are winning right now, so nobody's collecting bodies. I mean, we've seen that report from NOLA.com that the murder rate is down because of the Saints winning. Um, but all jokes aside, you know, boxing out has always been uh, – a problem for this team as well as we're you know for a team that's built its identity around being big we can't find somebody to set a screen and it's it's frustrating when you hear you know in the off season when we heard you know all this praise about uh Jaleel Okafor and um what he the shape he was in what he was going to bring to this team and then for whatever reason whether all of that was a farce or Whatever is going on behind the scenes, we don't know. He's not getting any minutes. Uh, he can't get minutes over at Check Diallo. And the reason I'm bringing this up is they chose to keep him instead of Emeka Okafor, who Emeka Okafor gave you a lot of those intangibles in the locker room you needed, and you, that veteran leadership, that guy that's going to get on somebody who's not working hard enough. And then if he does get on the court, then you know he's going to set screens. You know he's going to box out. You know he's going to rebound you know, he's going to help protect the rim. Um, and, and that's what this team is missing, you know, aside from, you know, the obvious things, uh, ball handling, playmaker, a wing, those sort of things, which, you know, will once we get healthy, some of that will sort itself out 
And then, you know, through trades or acquisitions, we can also improve those other areas. But until we improve that discipline, that leadership, that accountability in the locker room and on the court, uh, then like Ali said, nothing's going to matter. And so I guess that is a problem of culture. And, uh, you know, we lost Rondo, we lost Okafor, and those were the the differences, uh, the main differences, I guess, in this locker room. I thought Randall would have a bit more of an impact on the defensive end and help improve this team, but we haven't seen that translate yet. Um, And uh, I didn't, you know, Alfred's been out for basically the whole year, so we don't really know what how things are going to change when he's on the court um hopefully some of that will improve though he hasn't shown anything in his past to show that he's like this leader that's gonna fix a culture and a team in fact you know you know better than all of us that in orlando was a bit of a mess in the locker room so um i don't know they definitely need to invest in some leadership somehow um because you know for years we've been waiting on anthony davis and drew holiday to take the reins of that and they're incredible players and they do incredible things, but they just have not, they're just not those guys uh, that bring that aspect to the team. And we need to find that person. All right, David, your chance to be Mr. Positive. How can the Pelicans turn this around? Okay. You want me to be positive? (laughs) 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 You know, you're asking me to get out of my zone, man. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, Drew, Drew kept saying in the locker room that these are that can be fixed but you want you know, this team doesn't have a sense of urgency and that's been my issue with them for the last three years and you know it, it seems like each time it does take an infusion of an outsider who is in a way desperate themselves to really inject the right type of intensity that this team needs, you know, like Quincy Pondexter um, and the, or even when DeMarcus arrived, you knew he was desperate to make the playoffs and the energy changed. You knew Rondo was desperate to kind of reform his image after Dallas and Chicago. Um, you just wonder now when players say things like, well, we've done this before. And the recent history is seven years and two playoff appearances. You haven't done it before. You did it once. And that doesn't mean you're going to do it again. Um, so I just, I wonder internally, like we, when you talk to Kevin about culture, you know, we start to hear more and more things about these little divisions. You know, we've always heard that, that uh, Alvin didn't have a whole bunch of sway or a big voice in the front office. Um, and now we've heard rumors that Dell and the assistant coaching staff are not on the same page per se with some of the schemes that are being utilized. Um, I just think that there never has been a clear, uh, you know, culture. Yeah. Around this team, there is the identity we thought that we were getting and we thought that we were established at the end of last season had to take a step back when you change the people you change on the roster, just the culture. Again, you have to rebuild your locker room. And then when you have a group of people who are not by nature, vocal leaders, um, I think that makes it even more difficult. So maybe I guess the positive would be as you get to trade deadline, maybe you do find that guy who comes in and brings in a different energy. You know, I mean, even Nico, his energy in coming in last season, his, his 
you know, being upbeat, his a positive nature and his just, you know, almost a grateful attitude towards getting out of Chicago and coming to New Orleans and being with people he was familiar with changed a lot of the tone of the locker room. So I think there does need to be a change in that regard. You know, and most of this stuff is mental because we know um, talent wise from the top six, um, this is good as a, as a group as any in the league outside of, you know, Golden State. And, but the bench, again, I think a lot of the bench's lack of production is mental um, and it's, it's schematic as well. I think they haven't all been put in situations to prosper. The inconsistency there has been difficult. So if they can iron those things out, and obviously the big gamble, the big bet is that once they're all healthy, things will improve and we'll see if it does. But, I, but ultimately, yeah, I think it comes down to culture. I think it comes down to um, the way that they um, view the season, um, the way that they view how many games they have left. And if they don't start to understand that, you know, this can get away from them very quickly, um, then, then they won't turn it around. But if they do get that sense of urgency, you know, of course there's a chance for them to, to have a much better uh, conclusion to the season than, than what we see today. And Ali, based on the way the past three weeks have played out, it all but guarantees a victory for us when we're all hanging out on Wednesday against the Milwaukee Bucks. And <laughs> like the Oklahoma City victory, 118 to 1-14 uh, just a few days ago, uh, a win like that can do a lot to reverse the fortune. However, New Orleans is getting kind of tired with this song and dance. But should the, should the Pelicans do the unthinkable and go on the road and take down one of the East's best teams after losing to the Miami Heat at home, what, is, what does that tell you about the consistency of this team, what they're capable of doing versus what they're not able to do on a consistent basis? It's just going to be the status quo around here. We saw what they did when they went up to Toronto, and then the next night, or was it two nights after that, laid an egg up in Minnesota. You go and destroy. Literally, they played great basketball from the start to the finish up in Toronto. And then in Minnesota, they couldn't even come up with half of the right things that they did in the previous game. And so I'm expecting the same thing here suddenly they're going to probably have maybe a bounce-back performance against Milwaukee. And then, of course, they're going to go to the Lakers, and, you know, after that, doesn't get any easier with the Kings and the Mavericks. So, yeah, Preston, it's just a status quo to me. I totally expect them actually to have some kind of bounce-back performance. Now, whether it results in a win or loss, that'll be a different story. But, again, here's my issue, and I keep harping on it, but it's, it's a small thing. You know, in last night's game, Anthony Davis played 40 minutes. He had zero box out. Etwan Moore played 34 minutes. He had one. How on earth is any of this acceptable when these guys are flying in quarter after quarter, grabbing second chance, third chance opportunities right in front of your face? I don't know about you guys, but when I play basketball and my guy I'm, I'm responsible for either made a move, did something, I put it in my memory bank and I remembered it. If he's attacking the glass, guess what? I'm putting a body on him. If he likes to go a particular way, I'm taking that away from him. Where is that from the Pelicans? Where are these in-game adjustments to that stuff? And then, of course, where is – suddenly I'm scared. Does this mean suddenly that any team that plays a zone against the Pelicans, are they going to be able to stop us completely? Because that seems to be the message I got yesterday from both Alvin Gentry and the, uh, the locker room. I mean, oh, look, we couldn't drop suddenly any shots. Okay, well, yes, you are going to get a lot more open shots if a team plays that way, but do you have to settle for those? I've never heard of a team needing a tell for that. Not when you when your whole identity is running up and down. Not when you've got one of the best role men, if not the best role men in the league. You've got Drew Holiday, who's as dynamic as anybody in getting into the paint. Julius Randle, who's who's a 
fully. So what about setting a few screens? What about somehow getting some kind of movement? Yeah, we didn't see it at all in the second half. So to answer your question, Preston, yeah, they're, they just, they're coming off one of the worst performances, yet Alvin Gentry claims it was a good effort. Drew Holiday says it was a good effort. Um, I t- completely disagree because it, it entails not only physical effort, but the mental part as well, and they showed absolutely none of that. As I mentioned, those adjustments. So will they certainly be a different team in three days' time? Yeah, probably, because they've done it all year. So I don't really know what the answer is. I don't know whether I'm even answering your question correctly, but – Preston, this team just simply has to find it. Somebody has to summon it, maybe as a team, as, as, as the leaders, either AD or Drew or both, just need to sit down and just start leading by example. And I thought, honestly, Anthony Davis came out. We both noticed this, David and I, up in Media Road, that he started off the game really on fire. He, he was energetic. His shot wasn't dropping, but he seemed to be involved in a lot of plays. Yet, you know what? It didn't translate last night. You didn't see Darius Miller suddenly moving around quickly. Each one more seemed to be a step slow. So, I've got my hands up in the air because I really don't know. I mean, this this is why these guys get paid. That's why the coaching staff gets paid. But they've got to do something where they don't allow a below-average team to beat you twice in the same season. The Pelicans have lost to uh, lost four or six games to the Knicks, the Wizards, and the Heat this year. You know, if, if that's going to be at all the status quo where we're going to basically lose to anybody on any given night, then you know what? This is not a playoff team. They're not headed down the right track. There is a culture problem. So there's all these questions I think we need to focus on instead of just worrying about game to game. I think it is now 31 games in, and we don't know what team we're going to get on a given night. That's a huge problem, guys. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm at a loss for words to, to find a possible uh, transition <laughs> after that. Um, Kevin, obviously the, the problems stem from more than just uh, depth positions from 1 to 10. However, uh, guys who have been contributing for the Pelicans, guys like Tim Frazier, not somebody who we're anticipating is going to box out to any degree, but somebody who has been a difference maker. Uh, he's provided easy shots for his teammates in games past. Last night, a non-factor. Salmon Hill with another productive performance. But Darius Miller, a non-factor. Check Diallo, a non-factor. Frank Jackson, just five minutes, but a zero across the box score. Andrew Harrison, two of seven. How are the Pelicans going to get the help that they need outside of just playing fundamental basketball? Well, you know, health is another thing. You're going to get reinforcements back. Etwan clearly isn't, you know, I mean, he's playing, uh, but he doesn't seem like himself. And he's still adjusting to a new role where he's coming off the bench now. And then you have uh, Miritich out. We're going to have Randall out for a little bit, it looks like. We're going to have, uh, you know, a few more few more games without um, without. Um, Alfred Payton, so health will help, as which is you know we say that all the time seems like, um, but yeah, it's just I mean even, but it also is giving other guys a chance and putting guys in better positions to uh, to thrive. For instance, you know how did we kill Oklahoma City? We ran a bunch of pick and rolls. Where were the pick and rolls last night? I mean I know they were playing a zone defense, but I still think that running a pick and roll against that would be effective. Mm-hmm especially with the guys that we had, um, you know, Tim Frazier didn't really get much of a chance last night. And you said that he's not uh, known for boxing out, but he's actually one of the better rebounders on the team and for his size of what he does. Um, he actually does box out and put bodies on people when he's out there. Um, using him to penetrate and create more would have helped. Uh, 
letting Frank Jackson attack more. He was on the he's coming off the heels of surely what was um you know something that really boosted his self esteem, I'm sure, and his confidence after you know destroying people in the G League for a couple of games. Come in, let him uh you know run some stuff for him, let him show off some stuff, let him attack. Uh, you know we were getting nothing out of Darius. So why not try Wesley Johnson for a little while? At least you know he's going to defend and rebound, um, those sort of things. And then Czech has, uh, you know, he had started off the season terrible. He had a few games where he looked like a solid prospect again, and then he totally has shot the bed the last couple of games. He's looked totally inept, can't catch the ball, doesn't have any lift. Um, I don't know what's going on with them. So why not try some other people um, and also try to run some other stuff? You know, like we were saying about Ja, at least we know that he could score in the post. Why not try to run some offense through him in the post? And he's a decent passer. He can kick out of it to an open shooter or whatever. I mean, last night, guys who normally hit shots weren't hitting shots. So there's that thing that we still might have lost the game. Um, But trying other things, giving other people a chance sometimes uh, can help. And also just playing a different way uh, than we play sometimes. But the main thing is the effort plays, you know, the, the rebounds are what killed us. And as Ollie said, Anthony Davis, zero box outs in his, in his minutes on the court is insane. You know, that's, that's insane for, for, you know, the, the premier big man in the league, to not register a box out in 40 minutes is, is unacceptable. And then, you know, I've talked about since he's been here, how terrible his screen setting is. So those effort things, I understand he needs to save his body. He gets banged up, but, you know, put at least a little bit of a wing, uh, like a chicken wing on somebody and then roll or do that. So you could free up a shooter to make your teammates job easier. I mean, it's really just these effort plays that are killing us. And of course, we're also still dealing with health with health issues so they always have that crutch to fall back on um but really you know with anthony davis drew holiday julius randall for most of the game you should be in that game because look the heat weren't healthy you know they're they're missing Dragic, they're missing um who else wasn't playing waiters Dion waiters Dion waiters you know they're missing people and they're not a great team to begin with so um, you have a top five player in the league and a you know a top five uh, defender in, in on the perimeter, and you're just laying an egg out there, not really, not not doing the things that you need to do to win a basketball game. Yeah. All right, Grub. What are the odds that we see Jameer Nelson and Emeka Okafor this week? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say hello. <laughs> I don't expect to see them this week. Um, I think, you know, a lot would have to happen. It just feels like, I mean, you know, we saw that, that Dell was um, supposed to be looking to uh, make a move over the last week. Um, now, especially now that we've passed the deadline for a lot of players to be um, able to be traded. Um, but I think he, he's looking for a bigger name. And, and again, I think we've, we've nailed this into the, the coffin plenty of times, but I I really don't uh, I really don't see the point in going after a star unless you can get a true game changer, um, and it's come and, and I don't know what price the Pelicans would have to pay for that. I mean, you know, then you're talking about it has to at least be it's going to be Nico or Randall and multiple draft picks. 
um, if not more throw-ins to get somebody of that caliber. Um, and then we, you know, we've gone over all the names that we'd like to see. Um, so it's, it's not, there's no point in really talking about the roster change. I mean, we, for this, for the foreseeable future, we have to say, this is the group that we're going to have. And out of that, yeah, you'd like to see some consistency out of the rotations. You'd like to see players who haven't gotten on the floor, get some opportunity um, because it, it was confusing last night to watch um, down the stretch to see um, again, when you see Darius go off the dribble and leave his feet, cons- you know, consistently to make passes and they were getting, they were turnovers. And then the cavalier attitude that the team has regarding that too. Cause in the locker room, I'm talking to Drew and I said, you know, straight up, what's, what's, Every time you have a good stretch, you guys made runs, and then you start turning the ball over and giving it up, and, and the other team extends the lead. I said, this is happening all season. He said, yeah, we tend to do that. Well, I mean, like, man, give me something other than that. Like, you're, it's almost like a level of acceptance that, hey, um, we can fall behind. Yeah, we make mistakes. No, we don't value the basketball. But we'll, we'll be okay. And, and so if this is the group, you know, it's it's just feels very strange that all of the hope right now hinges on the health of Alfred Payton. And if, if anybody had told you that before the season, particularly you, Preston, um, <laughs> if anybody told you that the hopes of the season hinge on him, you know, you wouldn't feel very comfortable about it. But even if he were there, I don't think we'd feel comfortable about the way the team is playing because it because it is not a talent issue right now. It's a mindset and an effort issue. And I don't know the way the, the, the playoffs are shaking out, the way teams are, are aligning themselves, I don't know when a, a decent player is going to become available again. Um, you know, it was easy for the Suns to make a move because they're out of it already. It didn't make any sense for me, but, you know, they can make a move. But who can the Pelicans go after who has a talented player that another team is willing to part with today when just about, you know, three-quarters to 80% of the league feels like he's got a chance to make a playoffs? What a wonderful transition. This tweet by Jim Eichenhofer uh, Saturday morning. He says the Pelicans were 41 and 24 last season when Rajon Rondo played, 7 and 10 when he was sidelined. This season, the Pelicans are 5 and 1 when Alfred Payton plays, but 10 and 15 when he's out. Added up in over two seasons, the Pelicans are 46 and 25 with a starting point guard, 17 and 25 without one. Ali, how reliant have the Pelicans become on the point guard position and getting productivity from it? Well, those numbers tell it all. They're the most incredible, talented, yet fragile team out there currently constructed, I would argue. I mean, we've seen what Alfred Payton does in his limited glimpses with this team, and they were a fireball. They ripped through teams. Um, I know that they didn't have dominating 25 performances in each of those four wins, yet they, they did what they needed to, whether it was to win late, come up big plays like they did against Brooklyn, or it was just play good basketball from start to finish in Houston, or just flat out stomp the Kings. They did all that, that, that stuff that a winning team does. And obviously the common denominator and everything, as you just mentioned, is a point guard. So I have a serious issue with that because you look right now at the Denver Nuggets. They're leading the West, and their last three wins – have come against the Grizzlies, the Thunder, and the Raptors. And guess what? They've done it with three key guys sitting out. Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and Gary Harris. Are you trying to tell me that Alfred Payton collectively is worth or is more valuable than those three guys combined? 
I mean, that that's the message that we're getting here. Because the Pelicans, they 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 only have shown us one winning formula, seemingly, and that is when a point guard is there to push the pace to somehow keep these guys focused uh, by, I guess, everybody gets a touch, everybody gets rewarded with points. Uh, the scoring is fun, you know, high-scoring games, and therefore defensively they give better effort. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to rack my brain why they play that much better when one of these floor generals are out there when they're not against when they're not. And so, again, I, I think there's a lot. Obviously, you shouldn't take – what I'm saying, uh, seriously, because I'm trying to say this kind of sarcastically, but there, there's deeper issues, obviously, than just needing a competent ball handler. And you know what? Tim Frazier can dribble basketball. He can dribble the ball quickly up the court. He can find open guys, and we've seen that in some of his games he started. But in other games, like last night, it hasn't been there. So I think that's almost a better prism to look through than what, honestly, they did under Peyton and Rondo. Uh, because there's a lot of issues present. It's not simply just filling that point guard position. If these guys are not built uh, to be able to, to go without any player at any position, uh, especially when you've got Anthony Davis out there, that, that just screams at me that they're either not prepared to handle life without a cert- playing a certain way, without a certain guy. The coaching staff can't, can't get them to play a different way. Other guys can't fill other certain roles. You know what I mean? It's, it's like a domino effect. They suddenly you remove one and the whole building collapses. That can't be, you know, so that goes on everybody, the players, the coaching staff and Del Demps. Uh, so Preston, while those numbers are great to look at and yet they, they seem to indicate, hey, just plug in a competent floor general, everything will be great. I truly think it masks what are the real problems with this team. So I think that's why it's best to move away from stuff like that because it's not that simple in nature, guys. We all know that. Basketball is not that simple. The Pelicans' problems are not that simple. All right, uh, Kevin, moving right along. The Let's get to some of the questions, actually. Um, Darius Miller is averaging six points uh, per game on the season, just one rebound, just one and a half assists. Uh, and this question is from Jonathan Vogel. It's it's basically Darius Miller has been off and on again for the Pelicans uh, more often than not. He's right around 10 or 11 points or right around three points. It's it's hard to see or hard to experience any games that are any different than that. He says, why do you think Wesley Johnson's been buried in the rotation, especially when Darius Miller was so cold last night? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Darius Miller is one of those typical deep end, end bench guys for us that, you know, they have a single skill. And if that single skill is not on for a night, then they kill you on the court. Um, And I, you know, coming into the season, I thought he was the most likely to be jettisoned from the rotation or from the team. Um, I didn't think he was going to last. He had, you know, a hot, he had some hot moments shooting in preseason, I believe, if I remember right. And then early on in the season in a few games, last few games, uh, before this dud he put up last night, um, he had some good moments. But, um, you know, we don't see a lot from him outside of just a catch-and-shoot guy. And he, he, we see these little moments here and there where he comes off the line, gets into the gets into the lane, hits a uh, mid-range jumper, or he makes a nice pass. But those are very few and far between, and it's like, you know, it's almost you give him a participation trophy every time he does one of those things. It's like, wow, he did something, you know, that wasn't just a catch and shoot three. Um, whereas, like, I'm not saying that Wesley Johnson is a great player. He's he's an, you know, average NBA player at this point in his career at best. 
but he does multiple things. Um, he defends. He can pass a little bit. He rebounds, which is a you know a big area of need for this team. Um, he can block shots, and he's shown that he's able to hit an open jumper, and he's able to get in the lane and and get to the bucket. Um, and he can finish when he does. Um, he's not ultra aggressive. He lets the game come to him. Um, you know, he's an okay role player, and I think he probably should get more minutes. Um, I understand why you put Darius out there because, you know, his floor spacing ability when he's on is is something that you need to make the life easier for those guys who are trying to get in the lane like Holiday and Davis and Randall um, because it clears things up a little bit more. You can't sag off of them. But when when that's off and when it's clearly off and when you're having other issues, clearly, you know, you know, it's hard to say like a guy's off and he can't get hot again. But when you're looking at that game last night and you look at the first half and you see how bad you're getting killed on the offensive glass and rebounding wise, I think I would have tried to at least give Wes Johnson some more minutes or before Darius in the second half to see if that cleans that up and to see if he's able to get something going offensively as well. Um, so, you know, I can't answer why he's buried on there. I mean, uh, Solomon Hill has been playing a lot better, so he's getting uh, more of those minutes um, that than Wes Johnson was getting before uh, when Solomon Hill was really struggling. Um, and Solomon Hill had a pretty good game last night. We shouldn't, you know, that's one positive that we have uh, from that game is that Solomon Hill looks like a, a competent player out there. Um, he hit some shots, but he defended well, he rebounded. Um, so he was effective in his minutes, but um, it would have ni- been nice to see Wes Johnson. I think they should go back to him a little bit. I liked him. I mean, I think we all liked him when he first got put into the uh, starting rotation. Um, of course, you know, we're also dealing with an injured Etwan Moore. So I understand why you try to see if you can get Darius going because without, without Etwan, uh, a, a fully functioning Etwan and without, Nico at all, then, you know, you have a lot of suspect shooting out there. Um, and Ian Clark hasn't done anything to make you think that he can hit a shot right now either. So um, I understand why they tried to stick with Darius, but I think they should have gone with uh, West earlier on. All right, David, to continue on that line of thinking, Clint White asks, what is Kenrich Williams doing on the roster? He's not especially young. Uh, I think he's 22. So rapid development seems out of the question. And the coach clearly doesn't see him as someone who can contribute. I, I'm not even sure when the last time he got time on the court was. What do you think? Obviously, we, we talked earlier about uh, Ollie's infatuation with Troy Williams and what he could offer to the team right now. And Kenrich isn't even getting time on the floor. Put him alongside Ja, ja Okafor in that respect. What do you think the Pelicans' plans are with Kenrich right now? I think there's two different plans because I think, you know, out the from what Ali and I understand, Alvin wanted Troy. Am I correct with that, Ali? Yes. And so, you know, Kenrick is not part of Alvin's plan. I think he's part of Dell's plan, and that again shows you the dysfunction within the franchise to me, because. Kendrick is not going to get off the bench. And I think he's only on the roster right now as um, break glass in case of emergency. And then he gets on the floor. If somebody, you know, goes down and can't play at all, I guess three or four guys would have to go down for him to get on the floor. 
Um, so I don't see him as a part of the present. I don't know what his, what next year will be like, but I don't see him getting on the court this year. Um, you know, if they, if they're not playing Frank Jackson regular minutes, what, you know, there's nothing to indicate that they want to play Kenner. All right. That's a fair assessment. Let's go ahead and get, uh, back to our predictions for this one before we wrap things up. Obviously the Pelicans have, have had a hard time, like Ali mentioned against guys like the Knicks, uh, the Miami Heat, the Washington Wizards. However, they have played fairly well against some better teams in both conferences with big wins over the Spurs, over the Nuggets, uh, among others, over the Raptors, uh, to mention another one, the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it's not going to get any easier from here. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Kings are the immediate three in their future. And there's a fourth game on that docket. Dallas. Ali, Dallas. Ali, what would you anticipate happening on this four-game road trip? Um, being fortunate to win just one of the four, because wow. as we've noted, they're, they're going back and forth with good performances, bad performances, but overall they've been really a net negative on the road. So you put, you're going up against four playoff caliber teams right now. who are playing pretty, you know, better basketball than the Pelicans. So you've got to think, and we saw what happened on that six game road trip out West. And, you know, you've got to expect Julius Randle's going to be out for at least, I'm thinking he's going to be out for a couple of weeks at a minimum. Uh, Nico's probably going to have to be forced back into action, so he's going to be at less than 100%. Etwan Moore suddenly lost his way, still no for Peyton. So, yeah, I mean, Preston, you've got to think one win. I mean, I'm hoping for two. I'm hoping they could draw a split. Maybe they get lucky and play a Bucks team that will be missing uh, Chris Middleton and uh, I think Brogdon. They both missed the last game for Milwaukee. If they can luck into that one and play well, they can win there and then maybe pick up another win. Either, you know, in Sacramento or Dallas. But, again, Preston, right now you can't expect more than just one win, right, out of four, four of these road games? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to anticipate that with the Mavericks, the Kings, the Lakers, and the Bucks all playing so well all in the playoff conversation and with how bad the Pelicans were last night. However, you you try to remain optimistic. You know how good these Pelicans can be. And I, I that's the conversation that I was having uh, with my friend on the phone. Anyway, uh, a few minutes ago I was saying, that when the Pelicans are playing at their apex, when they are playing their brand of basketball, when they are dialed in from the tip to the end, their apex is so much higher than the four teams in front of them. In my opinion, I, I, I think the Pelicans, obviously, injuries are going to play a factor here, uh, especially if Julius Randle is out for a few weeks. In addition to Nikola Meritich and Etuan Moore, that pretty much stacks the deck against the Pelicans. But when the Pelicans are close to healthy at full strength, when they are dialed in, You've got a top five player in Anthony Davis. You've got a top 15 player right now in Drew Holiday. Sprinkling Julius Randle and Nikola Meritich where you want to. They're all top 50 players right now. They're all top 50 in scoring right now. The Pelicans can beat these teams. The problem, like we've been talking about the entire podcast, has been inconsistency and not playing basketball the right way, and they've done nothing to prove that they can. However, you like to remain hopeful that we can keep this streak of on again, off again going, and that the Pelicans can manage two of these four games. And then if you do manage that, by the time they, they play the Mavericks at home on December 28th, that should be close to about the time when you would think Nicole Meritich and Alfred Payton would be close to full strength and back in Pelicans uniforms. So if they can manage just an additional victory to, to what you're saying could happen, that, that could give the Pelicans what they what they need to do what they do last year when they went on that eight and two run in January before exploding in uh, in February after the injuries too. I think it was like a 20 and seven run at that point. So you try to remain hopeful, but obviously, yeah, with how they've been playing, going 0 and four is definitely in the realm of possibility. Kevin, what do you think happens? 
Yeah, I'm with Ali. I think we go one and four. I mean, uh, sorry, one and three. And I think we win the Bucks game because that's how the season is. And then we lose the other three. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you got to expect, like they said, Randall will be out. I think Miritich will probably at least miss the first game. Uh, but I think that's the one we'll win uh, because that's just how this season goes. You know, when when you're going to be playing Czech Diallo a ton of minutes and all of a sudden you're going to win a game for some reason. Um, I don't know. There, it's just it's ridiculous to think about how the season has gone and how inconsistent the team is, but how they're also very consistent and predictable in these kind of situations. So, yeah, I think um, one and three, we we beat the Bucks, lose to everybody else. All right. Well, the Bucks. Uh, I, I can't remember what their last game was, but a few days ago they played the Indiana Pacers and they got pretty handily beaten in that contest. I remember Thaddeus Young had a big game. Maybe that's an avenue. Obviously, the Bucks are number one in defending the paint at this point. I think they allow somewhere around just 40 points per game, which is pretty astounding. And I think they're in the top three in scoring in the paint. But with that being said, you'd like to think that Anthony Davis can take advantage of Brooke Lopez in the post. What about you, David? Well, I don't think Brooke Lopez is going to be defending Anthony Davis in the post. Uh, but I, I think I'm looking at the at the remainder of the month. I mean, there's seven games left in the month, and I think they'll be fortunate to do three and four um, to to close the year. Because, like I said, after they come back from this road trip, then you have Dallas and a back-to-back with Dallas and Houston. And, again, I, I mean, Houston is a winnable game, but James Harden could also come in and score 50 um, and get a triple-double. So, you know, and then you end the, the, the year um, against Minnesota, who has been a problem for the last two years for the Pelicans. So, I mean, it's going to the, the way this year is going to end is I think it's going to be a downer. And then, you know, we've seen I've seen some reports lately that they don't expect um, that the, the rumors that they don't expect um, for Peyton back till you know, early January instead of right at the, the end of the year, but the beginning of the new year. So. I mean, you hope that there's no setbacks, um, but yeah, if they if, so if they go if they go three and four, the rest of the way, then that puts them at what eighteen and twenty um, after thirty eight games. So you're probably going under five hundred at the first half of the season. That's where I think they'll be. Hey, speaking, speaking of setbacks, uh, how is John Ishup back employed by this team? Like. This guy has like the worst track record. The, his tenure here was so bad, and then all I read while he was in Detroit was complaints about him and his uh and the and the staff there rushing players back, misdiagnosing players. How do we have this guy back on on this team? Great question. I was having a report. <laughs> yeah. Ali, um, I, I know the diagnosis from Alfred Payton is early January, as David just said. However, the injury is to the finger on his non-shooting hand. Is there is there any chance, like Kevin said, we can rush him back a little bit earlier? I'm sure he probably even wants to get back and play with a cast or something. But, you know, that's just ill-advised yeah. thought, you know, because a bone requires X amount of days or whatever to heal. And he's not even – I think he's just past the halfway mark or something like that. So – he still was wearing a pretty heavy brace or cast, whatever mm-hmm. it is to basically fit in mobile when he was uh, shooting some jumpers after practice in the last practice a couple days ago. So we're not close, and don't expect him to play because you know all the contact that goes in the game. Uh, right. So, if, yeah, there's, there's no chance. <laughs> yeah, for a guy that lives in the lane, that's where he has to be. 
You know, True. you think about if he if he doesn't feel comfortable securing that basketball and being able to change hands um, and finish w- with the left, then yeah, you can't have him out there. And and if he's having any trouble catching the basketball when he does get those kickouts, so I think it's just and and then the way he defends, you know, you're gonna he's gonna be put using his hands um, to try to defend other guards, and all it takes is one jam on on the wrong guy to re-break it. And so, yeah, I think that – and you've, we've seen this year is that Alvin is erring heavily on the side of caution with every injury. So. All right, Kevin, the Saints play the Panthers in Carolina tonight. Uh, I think it's 8.30 kickoff. Uh, obviously, if the Saints win this one, they become one game closer to getting that number one seed. And then the, the road to the Super Bowl goes through New Orleans. What Do you, do you want to give us a prediction for the game tonight? I predict that every time there's a play, someone will ask me for a drink, and at every commercial break, no one will ask me for anything because I, <laughs> that's how it goes, and it's super annoying. Um, <laughs> but I think the Saints are going to win this one, and I also think you know, you know, you go back. To, I think a lot of people have talked about this: the Super Bowl year that we won, we lost to the Bucks, uh, the, the Cowboys, and the Panthers. Um, in that Panthers game that we lost was the last game of the year when we were resting people. And I think that's probably the one we lose if we lose again. Um, but unlike that year, this year, our backup quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater. So I think there's a good chance we, you know, run the table the, the rest of this uh, season. So, um, yeah, I, I think the Saints got this one. I, I don't trust uh, Carolina that much, although I know it's always a tough game when, when we play there. But, you know, I'll see it in the reflection of other people's eyes while I'm making their drinks. <laughs> All right, Grub, what about you? Um, yeah, I think it'll be a difficult game because it always is for the Saints when they go to Carolina. And Drew Brees has looked um, less than, you know, his, himself the last couple of weeks. Um, it's going to be a game where they're going to have to be able to run the ball. And I know Carolina is going to really try to take Mike Thomas away because the Saints have not had a great option on the opposite side all year. Um, and they've been trying to, you know, we've seen them kind of cycling receivers in the last couple of weeks um, and through practice just to see if they can get anybody who can um, make a difference. Uh, but, you know, Cam's shoulder has been hurt. He has not been able to throw the ball down the field. And I think you have to against the Saints. You have to be able to to, to throw the football because there's going to be a pass rush. Um, so I think the Saints win, but it'll be a very tight game just because of, you know, this – you know, as much as people want to say Atlanta's the Saints rival, it's really been Carolina since Sean Payton got there. You know, Sean's, Sean mm-hmm. Payton's dominated Atlanta, but the Panthers right. have a winning record against the Saints um, over that stretch. So, um, yeah, this is it's going to be a good game, um, but I think the Saints will win. All right, Ollie. Panthers have lost five in a row. They're six and seven. They're out of it. We're their Super Bowl, and they've got two more chances to basically say, hey, at least we beat the Saints, you know, when they look back on this season. So I'm expecting a, you know, Dallas Cowboys type of effort. Now, I just don't think they have the weapons. I honestly don't believe in their defense as much as Dallas's. But you got to think, if the, as, as David just alluded to, Sean, or excuse me, Drew Brees has not been playing his best ball. The offense hasn't been flying high like we've seen him or seen them for much of the year. So if they're still kind of grounded, then, yeah, it's going to be a lot closer than everybody thinks. And they're going to make us sweat. Even in the fourth quarter, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Saints have definitely missed Teron Armstead. Uh, although Jermon Bushrod has been serviceable, uh, Saints have won four of the last five. 
And that includes their playoff matchup 31 to 26 just last January 7th. So hopefully they can win this one and the city of New Orleans can have a bit to celebrate until we hang out on Wednesday uh, when we watch the Bucks. All right, guys, that's that's it for now. Remember, if you guys like what you're hearing, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. And as always, most importantly, share, retweet, tell your friends, get the word out as best you can. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm heading to New Orleans to hang out with the cast of The Bird Calls. Uh, the principal reason is going. My dad is retiring from Tulane University at the tender age of 77. So shout out to him. Uh, before we get out of here, Ali, are you working on anything right now? I'm trying to figure out a winning formula so that I can mail it to Dell. Other than that, no. <laughs> uh, Kevin, what about you? Uh, you and Chris Connor, what are you guys working on right now? Uh, we're working on because, uh, you know, I like we were saying before you joined us on the conference call amongst ourselves, we were talking about how, you know, it's hard to write something about this team because you feel like you keep writing the same thing over and over again because of the same issues constantly. So I'm trying to do something completely different and just look at it from an entertainment perspective and how to improve the entertainment um experience of going to a game and um that and you know tie the team deeper into uh the new orleans culture and not just the you know sort of um tourism board version of what new orleans is you know, not just mardi gras not just crawfish you know i don't want to make we had a joke that the, you know they should come up with a city jersey where it's uh just old newspaper with crawfish all over it um, kind of thing. That would be the next one after they finally get past the uh, Mardi Gras thing. But it's just looking to ways to make it more connected to the city and maybe make the game more entertaining for the fans of basketball from New Orleans. Um, so that's what we're working on right now. I think it should be fun. Um, so, I mean, I'm having fun working on it when it doesn't, uh, when I don't have technical difficulties like I did last night, but it's, it's a fun piece. Uh, it's sort of lighthearted, and I hope people enjoy it. All right, David, what about you? I'm actually working on a piece that kind of describes what it's like to be a reporter after these games and just the emotions that we go through as far as trying to figure out how to ask um, questions, you know, in this repetitive cycle and just, um, you know, how we read um, people's body language and what they say and just the contradictions that you, you, you kind of feel. So it's just, you know, it's, it, I'm trying to relate my frustrations to the fan base and show them that we feel the same thing um, doing our job because we care. And, and that, you know, just that alignment between what we do and how they uh, perceive the team as well. All right. Good enough. I'm Preston Ellis. You guys can follow David at DM Grub, Ali Cosell at Ali Cosell, and Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce. We're probably not going to have a podcast this week just because we're going to be hanging out uh, with our families and with each other. But you will uh, be able to check thebirdrights.com. We're going to have multiple articles for you every day. Make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out Crescent City Sports to get the latest from David Grubb. Uh, for now, let's try to keep positive. Uh, like we've been saying, it's one on, one off. So that all but guarantees us a victory against Giannis and Tedekompo on Wednesday night. How exciting is that going to be? So let's get jazzed for that. And for now, let's go, pals. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's... 
a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.